monster is a mirror, and when we look at him, we look into our own hidden faces, meditate on this at second level. Is this life reality? No. It is a film. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Here is the hair I've lost in the past three months. Take it. It belongs to you. You will know why one day. That's fucking crazy, man. Welcome to We're a Movie Club. I am the Oigi and I sound like this. Today's movie is House and today's special guest is Daniel Craig. And now your host Daniel and Siri. Hello, Truth Seekers, and welcome to the Weird Movie Podcast. I'm Daniel Wishes from the Mochinosha Puppet Company, and with me, as always, is... It's Sariyanai. And today, we have a very special guest on the show. Please introduce yourself, Dan. I'm Dan, straight from Canada, another Daniel in the studio tonight. Yay! And Daniel, tell us about, about what you do and why you're here in Japan with us on this podcast. Well, this time I'm in Japan just to hang out with you fine folk, and but also I'm here to watch some weird movies, but... What I do is uh, I travel the world doing shows, acrobatics, circus comedy, with a little bit of nice downtime to visit some nice friends. Cool stuff. And also, you're you're very modest. Daniel doesn't want to brag about what an amazing circus performer he is. But this isn't a podcast about that. This is a podcast about weird cinema. And if you tuned into the last episode, we just finished watching Eraserhead. This is episode three. Uh, first episode was The Holy Mountain. Daniel, have you seen Eraserhead and The Holy Mountain? I haven't seen any of the movies. You sent me the list before I came. I haven't seen anything so I'm, I'm looking forward to this so you've ne- you've never seen a racer head nope so I guess you wouldn't consider yourself to be a weird movie aficionado I mean I like weird and awkward movies uh, one of my favorite weird movies was the lift a Danish film about a killer elevator oh. I suggest you look into that one but uh, no all the ones you sent to me I've never even heard of so this should be good uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask you what your favorite weird movie was so and I hadn't heard of that one the lift I'll have to check that out the uh, the subtext on the poster is take the stairs take the stairs for the love of God <laughs> Take the stairs. Ah, <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Oh, sounds weird. What's the weirdest movie you've ever seen? Whether I, you liked it or didn't like it. I mean, The Lift would have to be up there. Modern times, uh, oh boy. Uh, There's a kind of an indie flick with Nicole Kidman called Birthday Girl that was equally amusing and horrifying. Just awful, but enjoyably awful, I think. Nicole Kidman, you said? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Birthday no, Girl. That was the title of the I, movie. I don't know that one. Yeah, it's better you don't. Well, <laughs> we might have to look into it, you know, in case we run out of movies in the future. I don't think we will, though. I suggest you to get, get the lift, though. That's pretty wacky. So today on the show, we have a very special treat, a movie that I picked out because Dan loves Japan. He comes to Japan all the time. So I thought we should watch a Japanese movie. Seems apropos. Mm. And as it turns out, Daniel has never seen the movie Haosu, the classic 1977 horror film by... Obayashi Nobuhiko. Yeah. yeah, classic horror film. And Sari's actually seen this one before. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Uh, so it'll so be... Two people who are familiar with this classic.
classic film, and some of you in the audience might be familiar with it, but Daniel doesn't know anything about it all. Do you? Do you it, know anything about the movie? Nothing at all. Is, it, is this a classic Japanese movie, though? Like, is this well-known uh, in Japan? or it's, uh... Well, we'll talk about that afterwards, but the short answer is yes. It's oh. a very well-known movie. Okay. He's a very well-known director. But we'll go into the history of this movie mm. and talk about that after. Like, I'm afraid to tell you anything at all that will give, give you even the tiniest little spoiler. I want you to go in as a clean slate. Completely blank. Yeah. No problem there. Although I'm trying to keep things spoiler-free from Daniel, if you haven't seen this movie, you can pause the podcast right now before we watch it and go see it, or you can just keep listening because I believe that truly great weird cinema, actually, no matter how much you talk about it, it really can't be spoiled. It's unspoilable. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, if you if you try to describe someone the plot of Eraserhead or The Holy Mountain or something, it's only going to make them want to watch it more because movies like this can't really be described with words. You just have to experience them for yourselves. All right, so I'm going to pause the podcast now and we're going to go watch uh, Haosu and when we come back, Mr. Daniel Craig might be a changed person. This movie might change your soul, but we'll see. I, I sincerely <laughs> hope it changes something. Or or maybe the alcohol we drink while watching the movie will change something. Let's see. All right. Let's see. We will see you after the break. Let's get into it. House. All right, and we are back from having some nice drinks and having lots of fun and laughs and also being terrified at the (laughs) horror movie that is 1977's Japanese film, Haosu. So, without going into too much detail about what we just watched, because I'm going to do a little synopsis, what are your initial thoughts? What did you What did you all think of the movie? Uh, if this is the kind of movie that you watch on this podcast, I would like to be a part of it much more often. <laughs> it was enjoyable. It was campy, cheesy, and but as you know, there were some parts of it that were fairly fairly dark yeah. as well. Uh. I'm really happy you you picked up on that because you know a lot of people just watch this movie and they see the camp and they kind of ignore the the dark aspects of it so I'm glad that you saw that because you know it is like a very silly campy movie Mm. now Sarah you've seen this movie I guess this is your second time watching it yeah it is my second time watching it too what did you think watching it again it's darker than I remember yeah (laughs) yeah the ending I don't know why last time I maybe I got too kind of driven to like a funny part yeah you just sometimes you just kind of pay attention to funny parts and you ignore some of the darker parts Without yeah. without giving too much away about it, at the very very end, the uh, the the closing uh, monologue I felt was mm. was p- particularly like oh 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 god. It's <laughs> like, really yeah. yeah, it's really dark and As- creepy. Especially if you think about what it actually means. But let's let's get into that a bit later. Mm. First thing I want to say is I've kind of made a list for the future of this podcast and the movies I want to watch. And there is one thing that a lot of these weird movies have in common, which is a lot of them have stop animation. And a lot of them have puppets. And this movie, stop animation, check. Puppets, check. Has both of those things. 
Um, so this is a segment I like to call, What Did We Just Watch? <laughs> Where I try badly and a little bit drunkenly to try to review everything that happened in the movie. Gorgeous is our main character. She was going to spend her summer with her dad, who's a famous musician. But then he comes home with a brand new stepmother named Lyoko, who seems like, mm. I mean, she seems like a fairly nice woman. She has some problems with the wind always blowing on her. But, <laughs> but other than that, she, that she doesn't funny. seem like a bad person. But Gorgeous is upset because no one can replace her mother. And so she decides to invite all of her friends and go visit her aunt instead. The name of her six friends are like the seven dwarves. And there are seven of them, including Gorgeous. Uh, The other six friends are Prof, Melody, Kung Fu, Mac, Sweet, and Fantasy. Getting a little Mm. literal there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Their names pretty much match up. Prof is supposed to be smart. Not sure if she is. Melody Mm -hmm. loves to play music. Kung Fu, my favorite character in the movie. Mm, She's pretty awesome. Mac, who just likes to eat. Sweet. Uh, what's her deal? She's just nice, I guess. Yeah, she, she was nice. She was sweet. helping. Help, helpful. Very helpful. And yeah. fantasy, who I think it's kind of implied that she has like just a crazy imagination. And she, oh, there's also like a little bit of a, a vibe that maybe fantasy might be a lesbian who's attracted to gorgeous. Yeah. It's never made explicit, right? Mm. So then one by one, these nice girls, they go to the aunt's house and the aunt has a cat and it seems like the cat and the aunt are evil. And one by one, they get knocked off. They get killed. Mac is the first to die. Her head is found in a well but the head is alive it like attacks so like they don't just die they get turned into ghosts or monsters gorgeous uh finds her mother's mirror and starts to get possessed and starts to become a bit more like her aunt or her mother it's not totally clear but upon the first time i watched this movie i thought she was turning into her mother but this time i really felt like it was actually more she was turning into her aunt it's her aunt because Because of the the wedding gown that's kind of what gives away no she was like the aunt was really wanna get married yeah couldn't so. so right before they go to the aunt's house there's a, uh, a really interesting flashback where it's just basically they're showing a film of what happened to the <sighs> aunt and it's a really really dark story it's like super dark but the whole time uh. the teenage girls are just making like really silly dumb girly jokes so they're saying like the aunt was gonna get married her husband went off to war he died this horrific death and she just waited and waited this was world war ii so they're atom bombs and the girls just make silly <laughs> jokes they actually show a mushroom cloud of a bomb going off and the girls go Oh, it looks like cotton candy. Yeah, they're all being very yeah. silly. And it's it's disturbing. Or when the husband is on the like a death march and they're like, men used to be so much stronger. Yeah, yeah. Men, <laughs> men were cooler in the yeah. old days. Yeah. And they just went to their deaths. That's so manly. So right at that moment, we start to be like, even though this is a silly comedy, there seems to be like some weird, dark undercurrent, you know? So, you know, uh, what, who else? Uh, gorgeous. Yeah, she gets starts to become possessed. We don't really know when she died, but she starts to become evil. Sweet is attacked by a pile of futons. Mm. And then she's found later in a bleeding grandfather clock. Melody is eaten by a piano. Uh, and and as all this is happening, the ant seems to be getting stronger and younger and more powerful. At first, Mac was eaten and he became a head. Yes. <laughs> what else happens? Okay. I just want to point out oh, that oh, Mac, oh. Mac also ate Fantasy's butt. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. In oh, character, I suppose. I... Oh, Mac, she loves her food. I should mention that Mac is constantly being made fun of her friends for being extremely fat, even though she's not fat at all. No, it's only English translation. Oh, is it? In Japanese, they never said she, she's fat. Uh, okay, there might be some weird things with the mm. English translation. Like, for example, like Dan and I, even though we're not 
native Japanese speakers, we both noticed that the cat's name is Shilo, even though in the cr- <laughs> even though in the subtitles they keep calling her Blanche, yeah. like which reminds me of Blanche from the Golden Girls. Yeah, also like Prof is like a mistranslation as well. Oh, is it? Is mm. it more like Sensei? It's or? Gali, It means it's like you study really hard. Ah, uh, that makes yeah. a lot more sense. So less of professor than mm. more like yeah the, a studious yeah pupil yeah, you know yeah. there is that one scene at the very beginning of the film where the teacher comes out wearing some weird baseball costume <laughs> and i really wish that, that character would come back because she, she was great but you never mm. see her again oh yeah I also, yeah also too i like how she's like oh no i've got an arranged marriage oh, okay yeah. bye kids <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and they're like so romantic <laughs> oh you don't know your husband <laughs> oh goodbye <laughs> so yeah the cat that's evil. Kung Fu is eaten by a light fixture, mm. but thankfully her legs survive and she manages to attack the cat and win the day or so we think, but then the cat's blood goes everywhere. Uh, they end up on like a floating tatami on a pool mm. of blood. The teacher that all the girls are in love with comes <laughs> to save the day. What's his name again? Mr. Toto? Uh, Toho, I think. Uh, Toho? To- Toho. Toho? Mm. It'd be interesting if his name was Toho because that's the name of the company that produced the movie, but right. he's turned into a giant pile of bananas by the oh! watermelon man. Sorry for all these spoilers, but I feel like if you haven't seen the movie, my description of what's happening is going to explain in no way what we actually (laughs) saw. Um... So then the prof is killed by one of those, like, pig jars that, like, Japanese people, like, put mosquito repellent in, right? Is that what killed her? That was weird, right? Which? When prof is killed, isn't it, like, one of those, like, jars that look like a pig that you put, like, mosquito things in in summertime in Japan? I thought that's just a can. I don't, I didn't recognize it. Yeah, that part's (laughs) a little weird. That part's a little bit weird. (laughs) I mean, I thought, I thought it was a, a very, very bad, like, eel puppet because it looked like it had like the oh. mouth with all the spikes around it yeah, yeah so yeah, i was yeah. like oh it's like a lamprey like oh ho, 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 coming out of the blood i mean at that at that point in the movie a lot of things are happening limbs are flying everywhere it gets a bit confusing <laughs> furniture is flying it's yeah. but then we have this quiet moment where lyoko the stepmother mm. shows up in all her beautiful windy glory ah! and she sees gorgeous and it seems like maybe things are gonna be okay after all and gorgeous creepily says my friends are hungry and are going to wake up soon and then they're hungry and the aunt's like or the stepmother's like oh that's nice dear and then and then she's consumed in bloody fire and then the credits roll can we just can we just go back to a moment where fantasy floats over to gorgeous on the stairwell oh and like cuddles up and yeah that's the last time we see fantasy we're not really sure how she yeah she like they didn't really show how she died uh, yeah i mean uh, like the fact that auntie was like topless for some reason kind of like I don't yeah. know. It kind of she fed has- into the idea that maybe fantasy might be gay and that has something. I don't know. It's also the, open to interpretation. The, like, it's like, it has like a big boob. Like, it's not the gorgeous boob. It's like bigger. So it's like ant's boob, but the face is gorgeous. Well, the gorgeous face and the ant face keeps switching back and forth, right. which kind of shows that gorgeous is like being consumed or possessed by the ant, right? Mm. Well, that's what happened in the movie, folks. And I feel like even if you haven't seen the movie and you heard that description, that description isn't going to spoil anything and you're probably going to want to watch it for yourself. It answers no questions for anything you might be thinking right now. <laughs> now, my next segment is, how did this movie 
get made? How did this movie get made? Who greenlit this? How did it happen? I mean, obviously, I'm very happy that it was greenlit and that it was made, but still, it seems like making a movie like this would be difficult. How did The Holy Mountain get financing? Well, it was funded by John Lennon and Yoko Uno. How did yeah. How did Eraserhead get funded? It was like a grant that David Lynch kind of convinced mm. people it was a short film when it was actually a feature. So how did this movie get made? Well, I'm going to tell you guys. Are you excited to know? Actually, I really am. Mm. Nobuhiko, the director of this movie, was a successful commercial filmmaker. He made like all kinds of ads and his ads were super popular at the time. And Toho, the famous Japanese movie company that's responsible for such films as Godzilla, was in financial jeopardy at the time. They needed a commercial hit. And because he made commercials, they thought, hmm, maybe this guy could make a good movie. So they went to him and they said, we want you to make a movie. And he said, oh, well, it just so happens that I have a screenplay for this like beautiful, like really serious movie that I wrote called Hanagatami. Mm. Which means, Sari? Hanagatami? Yes. It's like flower which is kind of remaining somebody. Well, the, the translation I got was flower basket. But I'll take your word for it because you're Japanese. So he said, I have this beautiful script for this beautiful movie. It's like a really important, like emotional piece. And Toho said, no, no, thanks. No, that's cool. What we really want is for you to make Jaws. <laughs> and he's like, what? Jaws? They're, like, they're like, yeah, Jaws. You know, the movie with the shark? That movie made tons of money all over the world. We want you to make that movie. And he was like, but that's already a movie. And they're like, yeah, yeah, just make a movie exactly like Jaws, because that's what we want. Here's some money, write a screenplay. So he's like, oh, all right, I'll go make Jaws, I guess. Of course, he didn't want to make Jaws, because even though he was a commercial filmmaker, he was also an artist. So he decided to make a horror movie. And in order to make the horror movie, he decided to consult his 11-year-old daughter. His 11-year-old daughter's name was Chigumi. Okay. And the reason why he decided to consult his daughter is because he felt like adults are very concerned with writing things that make sense, but children don't care about things that make sense. It suddenly has become a lot more clear. Aww. So he went to Chigumi and he asked her about all her fears and, and a lot of her childhood fears, her actual fears, became elements of the movie. Aww. So she, for one thing, she had this fear that there was a pile of futons at her grandmother's house that she was worried were going to fall on her. Aww. And that became a scene. She was worried that when she played piano that the piano keys Aww. would close on her fingers and chop them off. Right. Also, because they're all based off of her childhood fears, when he he made the special effects in the movie, he tried to make them the way he believed a child would imagine them, which is why he explained all the special effects in the movie look kind of weird and cheesy and childlike. Mm. He also put some of the story elements from his movie Hanagatami, because that's the movie he really wanted to make. So the whole story about the aunt whose husband dies in World War II and the girl getting the new mother, those were all elements of the original story that he mm. wrote that was actually a, a real emotional story for him. So he put two things into one movie. Yeah. So once he came up with the script, he gave it to Toho and they looked at it and they said, this is not Jaws. <laughs> this is this is not what we asked for. I don't know why you thought this was going to be like Jaws, but this is not Jaws. But, you know, they had already greenlit the film. So they're like, okay, we'll find a director. But they went around to different directors. Nobody wanted to direct the movie. Everybody was like, this script's ridiculous. It's going to destroy our career. No way. So, wait, so, he was like commercial 
director, right? Yes, he directed TV commercials. So he's like a director already. Yeah, but, but he, he hadn't directed a movie. Yeah. And also, he wasn't officially an employee of Toho. And at the time, Toho only hired directors who worked for them. But Toho just asked him to write a script, even though he never. That's right. They were desperate back then. Basically, they were like willing to try anything to make money because they had been failing.、Um... So he said, I'd like to direct it. And they said,、uh, No, you don't have any experience. And also, we only hire directors who are official employees of the company. But he really wanted to do it. So he started a campaign. His television commercials were like really popular at the time. He had like a lot of fans. So he started a campaign where he'd hand out like business cards saying, like, Tell the studio you want me to make this film. And he released a manga of the film, a radio play. And he made a soundtrack, music soundtrack, all before the film even started shooting. And all of those were big hits.、Ah. So the film studio were like, wow, the manga and the, the novel and the soundtrack all made lots of money. Maybe we should let him direct the movie. So he really wanted to make that movie from like a kind of ridiculous story. He really did, yeah.、Ah. And a, so allegedly, he says that a producer at Toho finally came to him and said, all right, look, Toho is losing a lot of money making films that make sense. And are comprehensible. So we might as well let you make this incomprehensible movie that doesn't make any sense. We tried making movies that make sense. Go ahead, make a movie that doesn't make sense. Let's see what happens. Wow, it's, he's lucky. So he was allowed to direct the movie even though he wasn't an employee. For the girls in the movie, they were all models, models who he had used in his TV commercials. They weren't actors、oh. at all. <laughs> he tried directing them with words, but it didn't work. And everybody who worked on his crew started like kind of like bullying him and Saying this movie is going to be garbage, these girls can't act. So, what he started to do was bring the soundtrack and he'd play the soundtrack music during the scenes to give the girls like the right mood. Wow. And then girls started to act? Yeah, I mean, we can debate whether they're acting in the movies actually good or not. <laughs> But one thing that you can't deny, I think, is that their acting is interesting. It's, It's really unique. Yeah. Yeah, and it matches that movie, the you know, feel of the movie. This is just a little piece of trivia that doesn't like quite fit into the narrative, but I wanted to mention it because it's interesting.、Uh, there's a nude scene、uh, with Gorgeous、mm. where she's in the bath. And when they were shooting that scene, she was uncomfortable being nude. You know, she was、mm. very young. So to make her more comfortable, the actress who was playing Auntie, who was a more experienced actress, just took off all her clothes to make her feel more comfortable. <laughs> and after Obayashi saw Auntie nude, he decided to include the nude scene for her in the film at the end, which was not in the original script. He was like, wow,、well, pretty good. I'm, I'm going to put that in there. <laughs> That's kind of fun or gross, depending on how you interpret that information, I suppose. Oh, he's done. Daniel, th- those facial expressions don't translate well to an audio podcast. No, I know. I'm trying to figure out a way to express my. Your feelings? <laughs> yeah, my. my、uh, I guess he was committed, but it's also kind of disgusting. <laughs>、uh, yeah. He had yeah. another nudity too, like, prof got naked too, and she was dancing. There's, a, there's an interesting story behind that. You see, this movie was made like in a time where there's there a lot of special effects in the movie. They're all done in camera. This was before CG, and they did some really amazing things technically. So for that scene, they basically shot her naked and threw paint at her so that they could chroma key her to make it. Look like she was dissolving. When they were shooting it, they had no idea what it was going to look like or how it was going to turn out when it was done. It was, there was a lot of really experimental stuff in this film. So he finished the movie and Toho was upset. They were like, oh my God, 
we're in so much trouble. This movie's going to lose so much money. It's going to bomb. They were convinced that it was going to bomb. They released it. It was a commercial hit. It made lots of money. Really? One of the few weird films that we watch on this podcast that actually did well. Did it make money? It did. It was a big hit. It got terrible reviews in Japan. That was my follow-up question. Is how it, was it critically acclaimed or not? Critically in Japan, the critics hated it. The fans, they loved it. Who are the fans? You know, there are people who love this commercials. People like us who watch that movie and think this is a really fun movie. Oh. Yes, that's the definition of the, the cult classic. Thing. Right, right. Yeah. Is it, was it rated? I assume so. Yeah, it has lots of nudity. A little bit of nudity. So how, ma- how much did they make? I don't have that information off the top of my head. I just know that it, it did very well for a Toho movie. It was like one of their most profitable movies at the time. Mm, back in 80s? Yeah, back in the late 70s. Okay. The movie was only released in Japan. It didn't get distribution in the West. Mm. until 2009. What happened? It just took that long. In 2009, 32 years after it was released, it was released in the West. Some people Why? decided, I don't okay. know. There's a company named uh, Janus, which was like a division of Criterion, and they just thought, wow, this is a fun movie. Let's release it as a cult classic. But when they released it in the West in 2009, it became like a way bigger hit than they were ever expected. And one year later, they made it part officially of the Criterion collection. Wow. The reviews that it got in the West were a lot better <laughs> than the reviews that it got in Japan at the time. People in the West thought this movie is genius. They loved it. Despite its initial bad reviews, currently it now holds a 90% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it is considered by many film critics to be a masterpiece. <laughs> How the fuck? <laughs> Rotten Tomato? Do you disagree? Do you not think this movie is a masterpiece? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess it's a masterpiece of sorts. It's it's hard to explain. It's, I, it's something that, I mean, the listeners just needs to, w- to watch it and make that distinction for themselves. Well, maybe we should think about the movie more artistically which leads me to my next segment what does it all mean yeah i've done some research into this and i've read a lot of interpretations as well as the director's interpretation but before i go into that let me ask you what your interpretations are the movie what did you think the movie was about that is a big question because on the surface it really just does feel like a campy cheesy horror film that's meant to elicit laughs under the guise of you know being a scary movie but but then you get to, again to the final part of it, and you're just like, oh boy, there's there's actually some some lasting uh, like iconography in here. You know what I mean? There's like a, actually a couple moments where you're like, oh geez, especially again the the final monologue saying that you know the only thing that can last forever after you die is if you can reside somehow in a, yeah in, like a living what, being. What do you think that final monologue meant? Uh, I guess it's hard to say. It's hard to say that it's something along the lines of embracing impermanence, but also like how how your subconscious can exist or your, you know the brain can exist outside the flesh is kind of like a message that was very uh strong that not the brain i guess the subconscious or the soul i guess is a better way to put that the soul as the the ant uh, was living on through the people that the house consumed in one way or another it's interesting what do you think sari uh the last scene i mean tell us what you think of the whole movie but yeah i'd also like to know your thoughts on the last scene oh i can't you know that some people's like love it's like it can start off by being pure but it could actually get really dark and kill people hurt people in Mm. extreme oh yeah like something beautiful can become something 
horrible. Yeah, so time. in the end, like, she was, like, like, she was talking about love, and it's, like, she's, like, saying it in a kind of beautiful way, but at the same time, she's really crazy and, and creepy. And just killed seven girls. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and she's, like, love is forever, it's love, like, love can last forever, passing from body to body, but the way she's wording is, like, just really scary, and that means, like... It is very disturbing and scary, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you know, something... Like it's like good? a threat. It's like a threat almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very threatening. Yeah. It's like good. It good sounds thing. like she's saying something nice, but she isn't. She's saying something kind of evil. Yeah. So even if something good, like the person believes, it can become really bad. That's like, you know, it's like turning. Right. Changing. Fortunately for us, or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, Nobuhiko isn't as secretive about his meaning as David Lynch is. So we do have some insight into what he was trying to do with this film. But let's let's start off with talking a little bit about who he is as an artist and his life. Nobuhiko was a little boy when World War II happened. Mm. He was born in a town just outside of Hiroshima. All of his friends oh. and family were killed in World War II. As he was experiencing World War II, before the end of the war, the people in his town all told him, he was a little boy, like maybe seven years old, and people said to him, if Japan loses the war, everyone in Japan is going to have to commit suicide. But mm. don't worry, because we adults will help you children. We know that you're young and it's hard for you to kill yourself, so we'll help you kill yourselves. And there was a nice old man who lived next door who said, oh, little boy, don't worry. When Japan loses the war, I'm going to chop your head off with my sword. And so he waited for the war to end, to die. And when the war ended and Japan lost, his neighbor, who threatened to chop off his head, just ran around the town going crazy and never chopped off his head. He was told all these different things were going to happen if Japan lost the war, and none of the things people said was going to happen happened. And he realized that all the adults his whole life were lying to him, and he started to have this sort of hatred for adults because mm. they were all liars. So he explains that what this film is really about is about his distrust of adults. It's a film about adults who live in the past, they're living on nostalgia, and they're using it to ruin the future of children. The aunt is crying over the loss of her husband, but as revenge for her pain, she's taking it all out on the young people and stopping any unmarried girls from ever having any happiness either. This film is his commentary on the older people eating the youth, destroying the youth, treating the youth like they're expendable. And what he wanted to say about this movie is that the youth are not expendable, and he wanted to leave the past in the past and not passed on the hatred of past generations onto younger people and destroy them. Mm. What does it mean when he made girls make fun of the film of World War II, including the atomic bomb? It's kind of shocking because on one hand, when we see that, we're like, oh, these girls are being very disrespectful, you know, to the ants' memories mm. and the pain. But at the same time, it's like, why should they care? If you just dwell on the, the horrible things of the past, you're doomed to repeat them. It's better to just move on and enjoy your youth. Why should we force the youth to suffer the pain of the adults, of the parents? I think he's a very contradictory person because I kind of remember he's like a kind of famous, like an artist, you know, against, I mean, everybody's against the war, but he's like a um, guy who's, who 
he's like a act, um, he's an activist. Activist, yeah. yeah, to against changing the constitution. He is very anti-war, and his films. This movie was his first film,、uh, but he's made many films since then, and he has been described as a filmmaker whose all of his films are anti-war. But he's actually said that he says my films aren't anti-war; they just seem that way because I hate war. Yeah, but he, I don't know what that means exactly. But well, I think it means like he he personally is an activist, and if he really believes in something, it's going to come through in his expression. Although、right. he may not be like forcefully putting that message into his creation.、Mm. It's okay for young girls to. You know, be ignorant about the war. I I don't know if he's saying that it's okay for them to be ignorant, but I think he's saying that why should they suffer for the things that happened before them that had nothing to do with them?、Uh. I think he just really wants war to end. So I know this is like a change in in subject a bit, but I just want to throw in a couple like little fun trivia things.、Uh, you may have noticed that he uses green screen a lot in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we noticed <laughs>、um, that, right? Yeah. Not just this movie, but in all of his movies, he uses tons of green screen. He intentionally uses it, even though he he can afford to just shoot it outside, like in location. He's he said you might wonder why I use green screen even in situations where it would be much easier and Much cheaper to just shoot on location, and he says the reason why is because it takes like a year or more to make a film, and he changes as a person. In one year, I'm a different person. So by using green screen, he can shoot a scene, and then a year later, when he's finishing the film, he can change the background to reflect his feelings at the time. <laughs> he says、wow. he thinks of movies not in terms of shots. But in terms of frames, you know, there's some interesting shots in this movie. There's like a scene where they're on the train, but then it doesn't look like they're train. They're just in chairs floating behind like a cartoon background. You know? Yeah,、oh. very, very cartoon background. Oh, there's one point they point out a rainbow, and it's like、oh. it it might as well come out of Teletubbies. You know? It's、yeah. like oh my god. And that that shot could have been anything. It could have been like fire, but he by shooting in green screen, it gave him the choice to decide later when he was editing. Make different choices, and that's why he prefers to to use so much green screen. A sad thing: two years ago, Obayashi was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and given six months to live.、Uh, after this, he finally made the movie that he wanted to make all these years. Forty years after making Hausu, he finally made the movie Hanagatami, the movie he always dreamed of making. Even though he was diagnosed with cancer and given only six months left to live, he's still alive. Two years later. And he says that he believes he's going to continue making films for thirty more years. Wow! Yeah, I hope so.、Mm. I really want to talk about the cat thrown away to the. You know. All right.、Oh, the, the scene where the cat gets thrown onto the wheelchair yeah, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, this movie has a lot of humor in it. Yes. Yeah. And he was intentionally taking a very serious subject. And like covering it up with comedy, it's、yeah. like a big part of his message was like telling this like super dark kind of important message in a comical way, right? Including like sh- shot which looks accidental, right? Yeah, like because obviously I I really believe he what he did is very intentional. Like me too, yeah. I, I personally believe that, but somebody might think you know some scenes like. Like there's like a cat suddenly shows up to like somebody's you know body like 
as if the cat was just literally thrown away. Yeah, I mean, there's there's things in this movie where there's like, that you might see in like a cheesy horror movie, like a shot where they walk in the room and the cat lands and it's obvious that somebody threw the cat in. But then you also see some really amazing technical mastery, like amazing pull focuses, just crazy shots mixed in with the cheesiness. So throughout the whole movie, even though he's showing you kind of these cheesy, kind of almost amateur looking things, he's also sneaking in like little bits of things that would only take a really experienced filmmaker to make. Everyone can disagree with me, but it gives me the impression that if he really wanted to, he could make like a very serious kind of like movie like Alfred Hitchcock or Stanley Kubrick, but instead he chose to make something silly and more accessible. And honestly, it paid off because most of these weird films never make money and this one actually did. Mm, what do you think? I mean, I think that there was, it had to be, you, you don't have elements like... <laughs> There's one part of this movie where I was actually in tears. You don't have elements like the skeleton, which adds no, like no, no nothing to the narrative at all. Yeah. You don't have an element like that in there without knowing completely what you're doing. Yeah, I mean that skeleton was obviously made intentionally be to be funny. It had like Comic one relief, eye sticking yeah. in it. When Melody gets eaten by the piano, mm. she starts smiling and she looks down at her legs and goes, "Ooh, isn't that naughty?" And then her fingers start playing the piano. There's no way that that wasn't intended to be funny. No. Yeah. He's obviously trying to be humorous while at the same time delivering like a very dark message. Yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a phrase I referred to earlier in an unrelated conversation. It's, you know, you have to know the rules before you can break them. And I think that's a good example of that. Like just being fully aware of what's going on and what your project is and what you're trying to do and then turning it on its head a little bit with these otherwise ridiculous antics. I realized that I didn't give my interpretation of that last speech. I kind of asked you. Mm. But that last speech to me was really chilling to the bone because it was a speech given from the aunt's point of view, who we already know is the villain. And it's being given like a speech at the end of the movie that with like nice uplifting music as though it's like a good message, but we know something's wrong with it. And what she's saying is like, you can't forget my love of my husband. I have to pass it down to generation. You can't forget, you can't forget. And I think what he's saying with this message is like, why you're, you're cursing your children to have the same hatred as the parents. Why are you cursing your children like this? Why do children have to suffer for, for the sins of adults? That's an excellent point. Yeah. I I like the scene, the ending scene, like the you know, the girl is the model. Mm. The main girl she's like really cute and pretty. Opening and the doors at the end. Uh yeah, and she's like really she looks like really sexy and when she sees says the lines just very innocent because I, I partially maybe she's just a model and she hasn't had an experience of acting mm. but the line itself has like really can have like a very deep interpretation but the way she says it just you know like turning her faces looking really kind of sexy mm. pretty and saying those lines it's like it's it's a very a memorable shot but it's not like intentional for the actors you know he made it happen yeah using the actor like he didn't know what, like how actors can act you know the cast can act and he somehow made the scene happen um, using the situations he had you know thinking about gorgeous all the girls in this movie die in like a pretty clear and usually pretty silly way except for gorgeous it's never clear to us when she dies. She's just gradually turning to the ant. Throughout the movie, she becomes less of herself and more of the ant. And at the end, it's really clear that the ant has completely replaced her and she's lost all of her own identity. 
the ant or the ghost of the ant because we find out that the ant died a long time ago has forced her will and identity on gorgeous and in that way gorgeous's death is kind of like the most tragic of all the deaths which is maybe the the reason why that's the only one that's kind of not treated mm. as a joke in the movie yeah it's uh, i think it's the moment that she's sitting at the mirror and she's engulfed in flames and then <sighs> that's because that's the moment she starts oh i'll go get help oh i'll walk into this door oh i'll you know be very flippant and you know and uh dismissive of the concerns of my friends that i think that was the moment that she became possessed or or taken over or consumed or whatever now that you mention that yeah it does seem really clear she's looking at the mirror Mm. and her face cracks the way a mirror and it's like it's really like her mind breaking under the pressure and stress of of you know trying to make the memory of her mother happy and by trying to like honor the memory of her mother and her aunt and her family she's actually destroying herself Mm, sad it's a sad story, you know, that lost the girl. Obayashi has said that he doesn't believe in happy endings. He never has happy endings in any of his movie. And even the aunt, who are like, maybe we like her, she ends up burning at the end. Mm. There's, there's no happy ending. Fun fact about Obayashi, seems completely off topic, but his hobby is reading the encyclopedia. He also really loves puns and wordplay because he likes breaking sounds down into words. Now, Dan and I wouldn't know, but was there a lot of wordplay in this movie, Sari? A lot of puns and wordplay? Mm, Not really, except, you know, their nicknames are fun. Yeah. 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 Now, I read an interview, uh, just a recent interview with Obayashi, and he recently recounted a conversation that he had with Akira Kurosawa, considered to be one of the world's greatest directors. At the time, Kurosawa was 80 years old and he was dying. I believe he was in a wheelchair at the time because, you know, he hurt his back on a movie. And Obayashi was 50 years old at the time. Kurosawa, he knew he was dying, but he said, if I could only live for another 400 years, I'm sure my movies could make the world a happy place. He said to Obayashi, you're only 50. You have another 30 years left to make films, which isn't enough time. But in 400 years, when your grandchildren are making films, there will be no more wars. And that will be our legacy. Mm. What do you guys think mm. of, of that story? <laughs> it's a bold, beautiful statement. I'd like to think that it'll be true. You know, as as everyone sitting around this table is our entertainers in their own right, you'd like to think you have that, you know, you can contribute in some weird, small way to the betterment of the world. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a nice thing to think about. Mm. I'd like to think we could get there one way or the other, whether mm. it be through movies, puppetry, circus, comedy, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe. a very nice sentiment and a, maybe a very nice thing to say to one of your peers to, to keep mm. them inspired and motivated and keep them working hard. Mm. This is another quote from that interview when asked about his feeling about war. He talks a lot about war. It's like, a you know, a big motif. All of his movies are kind of like about war. Obviously, his, his time as a child during World War II was very traumatic and that became a big part of his career. I think he had like a lot of survival's guilt. Um, his whole life, he kind of thought, why did I survive when everyone I know died? And he has this quote about modern wars because, you know, things have changed a lot since World War II. And he says, you know, wars used to have winners and losers, but not anymore. Now we're all just fighting to prevent someone from pressing the button first. If anyone asks whether it's faster for Trump to press the button or for me to make films that would bring people together, of course it's faster for him to press the button. But to live is to think, I'll make 30 films in the time it takes Trump to reach that button. And that's the job of an artist. Mm, cool. 
And that's all the notes I, I wrote down. For this. Okay. I mean, that's another that's another really like bold, sweeping, very idealistic statement that, you know, I'd like to believe is true. Uh, again, you know, I, as artists all here, that's something you really want to hope that you're mitigating in some way the, the badness and sadness of the world. But mm. he, he knows that he can't make 30 films, but it's important to have that sort of hope. No, absolutely. Yeah. There, you know, there's beauty and hope, and uh, and really, it's yeah. You're just trying to be a force that, in some weird way, keeps pushing mm. the dial back to the side of good. There's a line that we actually say in our show is that this is our effort in bringing people together in our own weird little way. Mm. And I think that's that's quote is very uh, mm. you know a much more eloquent way of saying that and saying that mm. you know there's uh, hope springs eternal basically that that old proverb so mm. put in a very mm. you know the delicate political situation we're all in right now so mm. it's personally it's really cool to hear that from daniel because yeah. <laughs> like it's i totally feel the same way and uh you know, the guy who said that is like a filmmaker who's like really famous in mm-hmm. Japan. And you have the same feeling and you're the circus performer, <laughs> this, you know, so doing circus all over the world. And like you're a very successful circus performer and we're just a very small puppet company. I would go so far as to be very <laughs> successful as well. Uh, just very small puppet company you know, doing puppet shows and we do totally different things but we both live. we all try to try to you know make the world better try to reach people's hearts it's cool so i just want to give my final thoughts on this movie i think we should kind of wrap things up again thank you daniel so much for being our oh, guest today it's been my pleasure if, uh, if this ever works out again i would love to love to do it again yeah you know something i really want to do with weird movie club is movies like Hausu are really fun to watch and just kind of laugh at and even to make fun of, you know, the cheesiness. And they're like a good time. But I also want people to remember that these are works of art and that the people who made them had like deep intentions. And it's fine to just watch these movies and have fun and have like a good laugh. But I think it can be even more rewarding if you if after you've enjoyed it and you've you've laughed at the cat shooting blood out of its mouth and the girl's <laughs> legs flying apart. <laughs> once you're done, you know, once you've you've had your fill of that kind of fun pianos moving on a fingertip, you kind of think, what's the deeper meaning? You can enjoy both simultaneously. You can enjoy the fun, the cheesiness, and you can also enjoy the message of a very experimental, very amazing artist, a guy who really thought outside the box, tried to do something different in Hollywood. You know, all these filmmakers who make these weird movies they're all trying to do something different something unique sometimes they succeed sometimes they fail but this is to me what makes cinema like this really interesting and something that's really worth looking at in some depth you know Mm. Uh, i mean even if it's uh even if his intention was only to make a campy cheesy horror movie that was enjoyable isn't that art within itself in Mm. a way like obviously there was some symbolism and and you know at the time uh filmography that was you know very skillful and very adept but uh you know one way or the other whether you make a beautiful movie or whether it's silly can't be fun if people enjoy it and people again if it brings joy to people or makes people think a little bit that's art to me that's that's an excellent point daniel as artists it's it's great to give people a message but it's it's also amazing to just give people some happiness and some joy in their lives isn't it and if you can Mm. do both like this movie did then great 
Yeah. Mm. Wow. Right. All right. Well, I'm Daniel Wishes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on all the way to Japan just to do this podcast, because I'm sure that's the only reason why you came to Japan, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're a member of the the movie club, then you'll probably want to know what the next film we're going to watch is. So you can watch it uh, before we do, before we release the next episode of the Weird Movie Club podcast. And the next movie we're going to watch is, of course, Alice. That's right. Okay. Alice. Sarah, you just looked at me like, okay, so what? I mean, some of you in the audience have already seen this movie. It's a a, uh, stop animation classic, and I think you'll all really enjoy it. So we'll see you in the next episode of Weird Movie Podcast. Thanks for listening.